Well, good evening, everyone. Amen. Let's start with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you and we praise you, Lord, for this evening and for this time together. God, just uh, prepare our hearts and our mind, God, for an alertness to your word. God, to an alertness to your spirit working in us. And help us to glorify you, Lord, with what work you are doing. Amen. Amen. You know, there are times where, you know, we end up, we find ourselves in cemeteries from time to time. And we, as we may be going to go visit a loved one and remember a loved one, we also come, come across other headstones. And we may see a name, we may see a verse. And, or we might even learn a little bit about the history of that person and something about them. And as I reflect on that, and I consider the uh, passage we're going through tonight, I am sure that even as you read your Bible, I bet Genesis 36 is a chapter maybe you don't spend much time thinking about. You know, it's one of those chapters that makes you wonder, if you're honest with yourself, why, why is it in the Bible? It's, it's a list of names which, if you pass through it too quickly, mean nothing to us, and about whom we can learn almost nothing, if we just pass by it quickly. The individuals in this chapter lived and died almost 4,000 years ago, linked together with the common thread of being Esau's descendants. But as we ponder on this chapter, it can be like walking through the cemetery. It can make us stop. And think about the meaning of life, the meaning of success, as we see these names recorded here in the Word of God. Now, Esau, the man whose generations are listed here in chapter 36, was one of the most successful men by worldly standards. He was a founder of a dynasty and a nation in his era. The father and of rulers and kings are what his family line shows us. He had financial prosperity. He had political power. He was a famous man in his time and for hundreds of years after. We see also throughout Scripture that, yes, he could be a nice guy. The guy that maybe you wouldn't mind having as a neighbor. But Esau lived for this world. And in so living for this world, he also failed in matters which mattered the most. And that was with God. He was a successful man who was not with the Lord. This chapter in Scripture, I believe, is here for, for two reasons. First, Moses was writing to the people who were about to conquer the land of Canaan. The Edomites. The Edomites are Esau's descendants. They lived on the borders of that land. And when Israel had sought to pass over their land en route to Canaan, the Edomite king refused. And even though Moses promised to pay for any food or water they consumed in the journey. And perhaps once Israel was established in the land, someone might be tempted to say, let's teach those Edomites a lesson for not showing us hospitality. But God commanded Israel not to provoke Edom, and said that he would not give Israel any of their land, as we see in Deuteronomy. So this, this chapter is here because Israel needed to know who these people were so that they would treat them as the Lord had commanded. The second reason I think why this chapter is here is to make Israel and us consider the outcome of Esau's life, especially when we compare it to the life of Jacob. 
There's an obvious contrast between chapter 36, which outlines the wealth, success, and the power of Esau and his descendants. And then the very first verse of chapter 37, which says with this statement, Now Jacob lived in the land where his father had, had so yearned, in the land of Canaan. While Esau was out conquering the land of Edom, founding a nation, fathering kings, and making a great worldly success from Jacob was quietly living in a land that he didn't even own the land where his father had traveled. And while Esau's descendants were mighty chiefs, famous in their day, Jacob's descendants were down in Egypt and enslaved by Pharaoh. So the chapter, in its context, portrays two roads that are set before all of us. One is the road for earthly success, fame, and power, which can bring quick and visible results and then there's also the road of obedience to the will of God, which is often much slower and less visible in terms of the payoff. 2 Corinthians 4.18 says, As we look not to the things that are seen, but to things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. It reminds us the worldly road focuses on the things which are seen, which from God's perspective are destined to eventually perish. God's road focuses on the things which are not seen, the things that are eternal and cannot be taken from us. And so the chapter teaches us if we succeed by worldly standards but fail with God, we fail where it really matters. And as we go, as we see in this text, it reveals some areas where Esau and his descendants succeeded in the world, but failed terribly in light of eternity. One of the first lessons we learn is that a beautiful family by world standards does not equal a family blessed by God. We saw Esau turned away from God. And we see, and it's seen, in that he took his wives from the daughters of Canaan. Esau's grandfather, Abraham, had made his servant swear by the Lord that he would not take a wife for Isaac from the daughters of the Canaanites. But Esau shrugged it off, and he shrugged off the warning of his godly grandfather, and he chose his wives from the Canaanites. And later, still lacking any spiritual discernment, he then also took a wife from the descendants of Ishmael. It's significant here that there's also no mention of, interestingly, no barren wives when it comes to Esau's line. Abraham had God's promise of many descendants, but his wife Sarah was barren. Isaac had the same promise, but Rebekah could not conceive for the first 20 years of their marriage. Jacob's favored wife, Rachel, was barren for a long time, but Esau's wives bore him five sons and a number of daughters with apparently no trouble. Esau often represents the kind of the strong man picture. He's strong, he's capable, he's independent, he's able to, he's able to hunt and do all these things. He's able to cope with life's problems with his own resources. And then, and if that is his mindset towards the world, well, then who needs to depend on God for things when you can take care of it for yourself? Abraham, Isaac, 
Jacob, their wives that struggled with birth, represent, yes, often God's way of working. He humbles our pride. And a lot of times he does that by shutting us up with problems which we on our own are incapable of solving. Problems like dealing with birth issues. Wives dealing with barrenness in the face of, yes, promises to be made into a great nation. And then when we call on the Lord, he then proves himself mighty to save in those struggles. Esau also, by the names of his wives, were beautiful by worldly standards. He was the founder of a dynasty. To be one of Esau's descendants in that culture was being like having your name recognized with one of the great names in in our culture. Like if you were to use the word Ford, Rockefeller, or Kennedy, or whatever it may be. Esau's sons and grandsons became chiefs and kings and leaders of thousands. And so the point of this being is simply this. Esau's family was outwardly attractive to the world around them. His wives who bore him children, his kids who became leaders and strong ones. Esau was popular and likable. He was a skilled outdoorsman, a man that loved the taste of game, a man caught up with the enjoyment of the good life. But there was one big problem in Esau's life. God was not a part of his family. For everything Esau had, he had nothing. Because God was not a part of his family. Esau, the grandson of Abraham, the favorite son of the peaceful Isaac, was a thoroughly secular man who lived for the pleasures of the here and now. He was a successful man whose sons and grandsons after him were successful men by worldly standards. But they all failed at what matters most because they left God out of their lives. And the most important thing when it comes to imparting to our children is not how to be worldly successes. And it's easy to encourage our kids to try to succeed in the wrong ways. They may make a football team or be that amazing wrestler. Or perhaps they may be a homecoming queen or get perfect SAT scores and go to the best colleges, getting the best paying jobs. But if any of us fail with God, all that stuff doesn't matter at all. We need to succeed for God, for anything to be a success. Another lesson that we learn by looking at Esau's family in this passage Material prosperity does not equal spiritual prosperity. Quite the opposite of the prosperity gospel that we hear today. Material prosperity does not equal spiritual prosperity. Esau moved where he moved because he was too prosperous to stay near Jacob. We see this in verses 6 and 8 of chapter 36. And this took place before Jacob's return. And then Esau realized that the inheritance was going to Jacob, so he looked for a new place to live. And it was nice of Esau to be so agreeable, but sadly, he had no vision in regards to the promises of Abraham concerning Canaan. He had no vision for what God's plan was. Ever since God called Abraham, he repeatedly emphasized Canaan as the land the Lord would give Abraham's descendants. But for Esau... Any land would do. He had no spiritual vision. He was living for himself, not for God's purpose. He was materially rich, but spiritually poor. Now, to Esau's credit, he 
not a greedy man. When he saw Jacob after their 20 years of being apart from one another, he declined Jacob's gifts. Remember when he said, I have plenty, my brother. Keep your things. But it's possible to be generous and content people, but still to be living for material things and not living for God. The danger is that our material prosperity, when we are blessed with great amounts of wealth, material prosperity can cause us to dull our senses with regard to our desperate need for the Lord. The Lord warned the church in Laodicea in Revelation 3.17. He says, I am rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing. And you do not know that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. In America, as American Christians, we have been blessed with so much. And we need to be careful to become rich towards God by laying up our treasures in heaven rather than seeking them here on earth. Luke 12, 32-34 says, Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And as we look at, and as you go through these names, there's, there's another thing that we see, and that's temporal fame does not equal eternal recognition by God. Temporal fame in this world does not equal God's eternal recognition. In that day, Esau was more famous than Jacob. And at the end of their lives, Jacob had 70 descendants living under Pharaoh's umbrella. Esau had conquered Edom and established a dynasty there. And by Moses' day, about 400 years later, Israel was a fledgling nation of slaves recently escaping from Egypt, owning no land of their own. And Edom was an established kingdom which had the power to refuse Israel passage over their land even though their two nations were related. And this is kind of our tour through the graveyard. Genesis 36 shows us that God, not man, writes the final chapter of history. These once famous names don't mean a thing to our world today, but Israel's name is in the news almost daily. These men successfully were successful by the world's measures, passed off the scene and were soon forgotten as others clamored to take their place. And today, we don't know anything more about them than what's written here. Fame is a fleeting thing. You know, I think about, for instance, what is it, the, the sidewalk of fame where Hollywood, in Hollywood they each have a, a star with a logo and a name on it. And it's like, all right, it's, it's etched in history. But we need to realize stone withers away. Steel becomes tarnished. And any amount of it can be destroyed at any given moment to be forgotten. Fame is a fleeting thing. Esau's people, the, the Edomite nation, endured until the time of Christ when they were known as Edomians. And then they disappear from history around 70 A.D. when Jerusalem was destroyed. But before that, some Edomians 
descendants of Esau ruled over Israel. Let's see if you recognize any of these names. Herod the Great and his successor, Herod Antipas. They were wealthy, power-hungry, cruel, cruel leaders. Herod the Great slaughtered the infants of Bethlehem in his attempt to kill the newborn king of the Jews, Messiah, Jesus. And Herod Antipas had John the Baptist beheaded and mocked Jesus prior to the crucifixion. All from the line of Esau. In a way, it was almost like a replay of history. When Esau's descendant, Herod, who had the time, who, who at the time had far more worldly prosperity, power, and fame. And then Jacob's descendant, Jesus, faced each other. God's side didn't seem by worldly standards to be winning. Jacob's descendant went to the cross while Esau's descendant relaxed in his palace. But God would write the final chapter on this part of history as well. The quote-unquote great Herod, like his ancestor Esau, was a successful man who went to hell. And Jesus Christ, the descendant of Jacob, was raised from the dead and is coming again to reign in power and glory. So what really matters, yes, is recognition by God, not by the world. Yes, we live in a culture that worships fame. And if a famous person becomes a Christian, we, we rush their life story into print and try to hustle them into a TV talk show. Even though this new believer might just be a babe in Christ who, maybe not even, who may not even know much about the Bible, but then we listen to their every single word as if it's spiritual authority. But the recognition that counts will come soon when we stand before the Lord Jesus Christ and hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. And he says, enter into the joy of your master. The most awful thing would be to be famous on earth, even and, and to stand before the Lord and, and hear the Lord say, Lord, I've done all these things. I did them in your name. But then to hear the Lord say, depart from me. I never knew you. On the Shetland Islands off of the northern coast of Scotland, there was a man that spent five years, basic, uh, that spent five years and a lifetime of savings to build a 62-foot steel yacht weighing 126 tons. And on the day of its launching, he invited a local band to play, and the whole town turned out to help him celebrate. He planned a voyage around the world as soon as the boat, and then suddenly as the boat was launched and the band played and the bottle of champagne was smashed across the bow of the ship and the ship was lowered into the water, something happened. The boat couldn't float and the boat sank to the bottom of the harbor. What good is a beautiful boat that doesn't float? That man wasted five years and a lot of money building a useless thing, a boat that didn't float. What good is a successful life that ends, whether in 25 years or 85 years, if the person is not ready for eternity? Mark 8, 36 says, What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? 
So we look at the cemetery. And my hope is, is that it makes you think, Lord, what am I living for? I'm doing this in kind of backwards order. But at this time, I'd like to read for you Genesis 36. And as I read through it, I want you to remember this lesson. Our value is not in the world. Our value is in Christ. I'll be reading out of the NIV tonight. Genesis 36. This is the account of Esau, that is, Edom. Esau took his wives from the women of Canaan, Adah, daughter of Elam the Hittite, and Oholibamah, daughter of Anan and granddaughter of Zebian the Hivite, also Basemath, daughter of Ishmael, and sister of Neboeth. Adah bore Eliphaz to Esau, Basemath bore Reuel, and Oholibama bore Jeush, Jalam, and Korah. These were the sons of Esau who were born to him in Canaan. Esau took his wives and sons and daughters and all the members of his household, as well as his livestock and all other animals and all the goods he had acquired in Canaan and moved to a land some distance from his brother Jacob. There, possessions were too great for them to remain together. The land where they were staying could not support them both because of their livestock. So Esau, that is Edom, settled in the hill country of Seir. This is the account of Esau, the father of the Edomites in the hill country of Seir. These are the names of Esau's sons. Eliphaz, the son of Esau's wife, Ada. Reuel, the son of Esau's wife, Basemeth. The sons of Eliphaz, Teman, Omar, Zapho, Gatam, and Kenas. Esau's sons, Eliphaz, had two concubines named Timnah, who bore him Amalek, the Amalekites. These were the grandsons of Esau's wife, Ada. The sons of Reuel, Nehath, Zerha, Shammah, the Misa. These were grandsons of Esau's wife, Basemath. The sons of Esau's wife, Oholibamah, daughter of Anah and granddaughter of Zebion, whom she bore to Esau, Jeush, Jalam, and Korah. These were the chiefs among Esau's descendants. The sons of Eliphaz, the firstborn of Esau's chiefs, Teman, Omar, Zepho, Kenaz, Korah, Gatam, and Amalek. These were the chiefs descended from Eliphaz. In Edom, they were the grandsons of Adah. The sons of Esau's son, Reuel, chiefs, Nehath, Zerah, Shammah, and Misa. These were the chiefs descended from Reuel in Edom, and they were grandsons of Esau's wife, Basemath. The sons of Esau's wife, Oholibamah, chiefs, Jehush, Jalam, and Korah. These were the chiefs descended from Esau's wife, Oholibamah, daughter of Anah. These were the sons of Esau, that is, Edom, and these were their chiefs. These were the sons of Seir, the Horites, who were living in the region. Lotan, Shobal, Zebian, Anah, Dishan, Iser, Deshan. These are the sons of Seir and Edom were the Hor- Horite chiefs. The sons of Lotan, Hori, and Hamam. 
Timnah was, Lod- was Lotan's sister. And the sons of Shobal, Alvan, Manhath, Ebal, Shepho, and Anam. The sons of Zibion, Aiyah, and Anah. This is Anah, who discovered the hot springs in the desert while he was grazing the donkeys of his father Zibion. The children of Anah, Dishan and Holibama, daughter of Anah. The sons of Dishan, Hemdan, Eshban, Ethron, and Karan. The sons of Esar, Bilhan, Zaphan, and Akan. The sons of Dishan, Us, and Aran. There were the Horite chiefs, Lotan, Shobal, Zibion, Anah, Dishan, Esar, Dishan. And these were the Horite chiefs according to their divisions in the land of Seir. You're doing great. We're almost through it. Oh, thank you very much. I do my best to at least attempt the names before I say, oh goodness, I'm skipping that one. All right. These were the kings who reigned in Edom before the Israelite king reigned. Bela, son of Beor, became king of Edom. His city was named Dinabah. When Bela died, Jobab, son of Zerah from Basra, succeeded him as king. And when Jabab died, Husham from the land of the Temanites succeeded him as king. And when Husham died, Hadad, son of Badad, who defeated Midian in the country of Moab, succeeded him as king. His city was named Avith. And when Hadad died, Samla from, Mas- from Masrakah succeeded him as king. And when Samla died, Shaul from Rehoboth on the river succeeded him as king. And when Shaul died, Baal Hanan, son of Akbor, succeeded him as king. And when Baal Hanan, son of Akbor, died, Hadad succeeded him as king. His city was named Pau, and his wife's name was Mehetabel, daughter of Matred, and the daughter of Mezahab. These were the chiefs descended from Esau by name, according to their clans and regions. Timnah, Alva, Jetheth, Aholi Bama, Elah, Penan, Kenas, Teman, Mibsar, Magdiel, and Iram. These were the chiefs of Edom according to their settlements in the land they occupied. This was Esau, the father of the Edomites. Good job for keeping up. And I am sure every professor I have that ever taught me preaching says, why on earth would you ever read the entire chapter? Well, that's why I did the sermon beforehand. To give you a little bit of context, did you notice how small it started with Esau? It just started with him, his wives, and a concubine or two. And then suddenly you seem to get bigger. Suddenly you start seeing the words chiefs. And then after you start seeing the word chiefs, well, then now we see the word kings being used. And they grew and they grew and they grew. They grew of themselves, though. And they did not grow in the Lord. You know, our our tour of Esau's family cemetery is over. But, I'm sorry to say, when you're looking at a cemetery and you realize the individual didn't know the Lord, it's a very different thing than when you know that they do. And so like I said, it should make us think the question, what are we living for? What are we still living for as we are still here today? While we still live, we have a choice. We can join Jacob and his descendants and waiting patiently for God to fulfill his covenant promises to us. And as we wait on the return of Jesus Christ, as we labor and we wait for the coming, the, the coming again of 
Or do we look over at Esau, prospering in the world, and join him in the pursuit of secular success? If we succeed by worldly standards but fail with God, we have failed where it really matters. Whether we fail or succeed by worldly standards, the point is if we succeed with God, we have true and lasting success in Him. So let your value, let your success, let your identity, let who you are, let that be in our Heavenly Father. Let's pray. Lord, there is not one word, not one letter that is in your word, God, that you did not put there for a purpose. God, whether it's a testimony of creation or the testimony of your judgment, a testimony of your grace, or Lord, if it's a testimony of seeing a people that drifted from you and Lord turned their backs on you. God, I pray that we will not be like Esau, but Lord, we'll be as you've called us to, Lord, that we will store up our treasures in heaven. And we will find, Lord, that all the value that matters is the value that you give us. And Lord, help us to honor you with where you've put us. Amen. Amen. God bless, and you all have a good night.